Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. around the world are flocking to the island nation of Krakoa for safety, security, and to be part of the first mutant society. The Hellfire Trading Company is responsible for distributing Krakoa's pharmaceuticals to friendly nations and smuggling mutants out of unfriendly ones. Currently run by their two leaders, Sebastian Sean and Frost, a third governing chair remains open. I need to just, before we go a step further, that last page of Marauders with there's white, black, and red monarchs, bishops, and knights. Like, oh my god, I feel like this is video games and I gotta start switching classes. Anyway, I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survive the experience. And I do want to say, while reading this, when the when Marauder said, on the next time we'll see the Marauders, they'll be talking about the Black Bishop, I was like, well, that's very rude. His name is just Bishop. You don't have to call him the... Oh! <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I oh, didn't Jonah. even make that. These three books were quite the experience. Now, we were supposed to talk about X-Men number two last time, but frankly, we just had way too much to talk about loving fallen angels so much. And I'm pleased to report, I don't think there was a bum book in this whole set. Kyle, were you pleasantly surprised by the second set of books? I really was. There was a lot of world building, I guess you'd call it, or world reconstruction maybe that was really fascinating dylan when you take a look at this run of titles this narrative flow this cohesion seeing the marauders pop up in excalibur and the events of x-force referenced in x-men and apocalypse showing up everywhere <laughs> daddy a is all up in everybody's business he's trying to get some from all over the place people he sees his seed and children <laughs> Ew. Oh, oh that got me put on a list what was it like seeing the X-Men have cohesion for the first time? I mean, this is like the last time the X-Men had this kind of cohesion, Maggot was introducing everyone to Eni and me. <laughs> As an X-Men fan, it is incredibly awesome. Kyle said it. It is very much world building and world reconnecting of like all the X-Men books. We got to have the amazing House of X and Powers of X books where everybody was just in one or two books. But now that we've been split off into like five or six different teams, it's nice to still have that cohesion between all of them. And it makes sense. Jonah, you're still in the 80s, but you're also now in the 2019s, and you definitely toured the 2003s, and it's got to be interesting to say the least that you are taking this deeply anachronistic dive into the X-Men. I mean, your understanding of the X-Men is so out of sequence, it's nearly Cable's timeline. Just call me the Cable of this podcast. Yes, it's... I've talked about this probably a couple of times in voicing it on the podcast, but I'll say it again. It's really fun and interesting 
thing to read the X-Men out of order and try to piece together everything that has and hasn't happened and try to figure out, wait, I read this in the 80s, much like my music choices. I still haven't left there. You guys were supposed to like that. I did. <laughs> On air. We share a microphone. I'm supposed to push you out of the way to laugh? Yes. Oh my God, Jonah. That... Uh, cable over here wants me to shove him out of the way. <laughs> it's just, it's really... I will say this. I wouldn't recommend reading the way that I am reading. However, it is makes for a fairly fascinating experience if you want to be confused, but also surprised, but also be like, wait, they're changing things. And then be like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? It is very, dear God, hold on to the seat of your pants. This is some hope you survive the experience levels of deep dive into the X-Men. And I can think of no better place to deep dive into the X-Men than what I am referring to as my feel-good issue of the forever. Now, I just want to mention, I've gone back and listened to a number of the earlier Hoxpox episodes we did, and we really predicted that this island thing would be a huge deal. We predicted Apocalypse would play a really large part in all of this, and so I'm happy to see a lot of that coming due. And I got Scott, who I finally like, having a personality, taking his kids on a picnic with guns, and it was just, it was a dream come true. You mean a very comfortable personality where he was very much okay talking about having sex with their mom? I mean, I think he was only talking about having had sex with one of their moms. But if you think about it, she was kind of just the egg donor. Uh. The Phoenix egg donor. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I loved about this issue is that it essentially breaks down into three character perspectives. You have Scott, the dutiful X-Man who's always been there. You have Rachel, who has come and gone as she's needed to. And you have Cable, who this Cable knows the other Cable's history, but he doesn't have all of other Cable's experiences. So in that regard, I have a Cyclops, a Rachel, and a Nathan here. So I want to utilize that to talk to you guys a little bit about the story, and I'm going to start with with the youngest of the crew. Jonah, when I see this issue, this issue is a lot about understanding togetherness. It's about understanding community bond forming in different ways, whether it's Arako and Krakoa banging themselves into one big island again, or it's Scott uniting his family, or it's Apocalypse identifying his seed in people. I'm not letting that go. <laughs> this story was about coming together, and Cable, who is usually the wise, clever tactician who can fix time machines and shit he's like here's a bomb do you want a bomb i'm bad at plans now he represents kind of the youth vibe of this title and in a lot of ways a spirited wild card as our resident science boy, do you see Cable as, I don't know, competent or sane? Well, I feel like it's a loaded question because yes and no. Cable to me was probably my favorite part of this entire issue, mostly because I think he got the funniest lines of dialogue I have ever seen. And I really wasn't expecting the amount of good comedy to come out of his lines and the situations he was placed in. I think having Cable be the wild card, the one that becomes a 
little unpredictable due to lack of experience is a really nice and interesting choice. And I think from everything that Nico has told me about Cable and why he loves him, it's a big departure of his character. I find Cable... Okay, so I think Cable is the wild card, but also Cable is calculated. And it's a really... You would think those two things are mutually exclusive, that you can't be both. But Cable is. He understands what he is doing, and he understands what he's supposed to do, but he's also doing things in a way that he finds the most fun and he's going to get the biggest laugh out of. And whether or not that's the most productive way to do things and the most community thought driven, it that's the best way I can describe it of making sure you're looking out for your community with your own actions. He's still doing things he thinks are right. And I really appreciate a character that wants to do the very chaotic good. He's going to do good, but goddamn, he's going to do it his way and get a laugh out of it. I, I love that interpretation because I feel like this cable is equal parts adrenaline, dick, and progressive industrial music. Think skinny puppy in the 80s on network, right? <laughs> so I think that's a really great view into Cable. And I love that you're coming to love one of my all-time favorite characters. And speaking of a character that someone has come to love, I struggled to like Rachel for probably her first mm, 20 years of existence. It wasn't until she started to have adventures with actually Cable that I really began to love Rachel. And she has this beautiful fish out of water story, but I feel like she's really coming into her own but she kind of came into her own like late in life and plays this really valid, necessary component in the X-Men. Kyle, I know the era she's from is an era that you love. And Rachel has transformed so much over the years. She really has like, blossomed into this beautiful Phoenix creature. Do you recognize classic Rachel in this Rachel? And have you enjoyed that transformation? I do. I see this Rachel as a more mature version of the original Rachel that we came to know back in the 80s and you can see that her experiences have helped her to become comfortable with her past, with her family, and with her own abilities. And yes, she is still trying to take on that new persona of prestige, but I think she's becoming more comfortable with herself as not just another gene replacement. Not just another gene replacement what a dead-on way to look at it, because she's certainly not a gene replacement here. Gene has come to play a very unique function on the X-Men, which is this role saved for very few, primarily women. It's Storm, Gene, when needed, Polaris or Kitty can step into the role. It's sort of this big hair, don't care queen mother who sometimes has to lay the motherfucking law down. And that's not who Rachel wants to be. I really, oh man, I hadn't even thought of it as Rachel gets to be who she wants to be now, not the projection of the raptor that she always has to bear. Now, Dylan, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Cyclops is one of my favorite X-Men now. And his leadership, his strong sense of guidance, he feels almost warmly avuncular, yet he definitely makes maintains this sense of militaristic integrity. Scott is one of the hardest characters to pin down, and as someone who's read the vast majority of the fluid character that is Scott Summers, I have to know where you stand on his position in X-Men number two. Like you said, Cyclops, for the most part, is very the gung-ho leader that knows the right thing to do. I feel like this issue kind of didn't have very much in it, but I think this 
is probably Hickman's way of showing possibly new readers that may have joined from the Hawkspox storylines. If they had seen and read Cyclops in their stories, they would see him as the military leader that knows the right thing to do or the best thing to do. As longtime readers, we know that Cyclops is a very well-balanced character when it comes to being that leader, but then also being the father, lover, very, in a lot of ways, empathic member of the X-Men. And I feel like this issue was made so new readers could see that Cyclops is not always that stern leader and that he can take his kids on a road trip. (laughs) And speaking of road trips, I loved that the Excalibur crew hung out with the Marauders in Excalibur. It made me so happy. Dylan, was that just like actual synergy? Was that actual X-Men line synergy for a moment? It was. I really liked how they had Excalibur and Marauders mixed because most X-Men fans or I think most X-Men fans really love the characters in the team because the X-Men at its core is very family-esque and when you combine the two books it might have readers of one book want to know what's happening in the other since Kitty showed up in Excalibur maybe I should read Marauders. Also having Kitty be there with Excalibur at the beginning of this it's kind of showing the growth of Kitty as a leader because it's kind of showing her in her new leader spot of the Marauders. Most of this issue of Excalibur was full of growth. This issue is showing beginnings Four characters that most of us have read for years in many ways that we haven't seen them grow, whether it's with Betsy and her new-ish mantle and what comes along with that, or Jubilee and her motherhood and Gambit and his devotion to Rogue, which he's always had that devotion to Rogue, but I kind of feel like since last year's wedding between the two of them, he's become a little bit soft. And the book also is showing the growth of Apocalypse as a good guy. Jonah, being the newest one to a lot of these characters, what were your thoughts on this issue? This was the Betsy show starring some other characters, and I'm fully here for it. I am fully ready to learn more about this Braddock. I think her getting the Captain Britain helm, I think it's going to do some fairly fascinating things for her character, and I'm super, 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 super excited to see where that's going to lead. I'm super interested to see who Jubilee is. She's a character I know the least about, and I'm really ready to see her being a mom, though sometimes I don't understand her choices as being a mom. I understand she thinks the idea of having her kid closer to her is safer. Probably not the best. My least favorite character actually was Gambit, and it was from a very specific moment where Gambit says to Betsy, well, at least Brian isn't on this plane for you to worry about. I get you're upset your wife is in a coma and you don't really know what's going on on and it's really scary but don't bring other people down i understand misery loves company but it was a really low blow for him to do and i really don't think that painted him in the best light it really made me upset that he thought he had to bring someone else down to express his anger sadness and frustration at the situation at hand especially because his wife would really not appreciate that rogue would like she'd be like nah sugar i'm just gonna hug your face <laughs> she definitely would not appreciate that that line of dialogue at all. She's one of the most compassionate characters in the world, and that's what I love about Rose. Kyle, with you knowing more about a lot of these characters, what were your thoughts on this issue? 
I have to agree that it's definitely felt like a the, the Betsy show guest starring a bunch of other X-Men. I don't feel like we've really got a lot of information about most of these characters and where they stand right now. I'm really disappointed that they're just turning Rogue into an object in this. Ooh, it's the ultimate form of objectification. Actual dormant inanimate objectification. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable for me seeing her pretty much being the lighthouse. I really would have appreciated part of the storyline coming later. Again, I think this might be, for some of the stories that's part of the Dawn of X, their plots feel like this is happening a little too early. I don't know if I would have minded the rogue becoming in a coma, becoming the lighthouse, if it happened a little bit later. We really only got one issue of rogue. Granted, there's only been two issues, I know, but it still feels a certain kind of, to use this word, fridging to have Rogue already out of commission, I really would have appreciated at least one or two more issues of her helping and doing things, especially because she is such a powerful mutant and maybe there's an argument to say that she's out of commission right now because she is very powerful, but I really would have loved to see more of her before this happened. The two of you talked about the issue kind of being Betsy Braddock and Associates. Nico, since you are a huge Betsy fan and then an even huge Captain Britain fan, what were your thoughts on this, I guess, one-man show with the clowns on the side? I came into this not loving issue one. I probably gave issue one like a solid C, maybe a C minus, but I gave this issue like a B plus. I thought this was a really great change of pace. Now, I don't love the iteration of the other characters, but I find very frequently when there is a team book focused around one character, a number of the other characters, unless they're super represented elsewhere, like no matter what happens with Storm in Marauders, I know that she's there to play a role that supports Kitty, right? So whatever happens there, I know Storm's going to appear somewhere else too. Storm's going to be showing up from time to time in giant size. So I'm not worried about that. But I understand that there's only so much time in a book. And nowadays, because books get canceled so quickly, no writer wants to wait until issue 14 to get to their magical myth arc. They want to get there right away. And I appreciate the immediacy of that approach to storytelling. It's a really great way to make sure that you hit the points you want to hit. But the sacrifice comes at the cost of the experience of some of the characters. I'm really excited to see how this writer handles Rogue because so far, I love how this writer is handling Betsy. Strong women seem to be something they get. I love how they're handling Betsy, so I can't wait to see how they handle Megan. But because we live in an era that is affecting the way storytelling works, I think that's why we're seeing a little bit more unfair treatment of the secondary characters in a team book most focused on a solo figure. Additionally, the the changes to Captain Britain canon in this issue were fantastic. This priestesses and magical Merlin of Otherworld coven people. I'm so in. Bring it. Give me. Never cancel this book now. I have to know for the rest of my life. And that 2099 variant for Captain Britain was gorgeous. And just. Oh my God, yes. It also gave us one of the best lines from Betsy. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they're invisible. Oh, absolutely. And definitely there was a lot more Jamie in this too. People like remembered Jamie was a thing here. So I was thrilled. And I was completely not expecting that Clan Akaba was going to be a group that was against Apocalypse. Can I just point that out? I, I don't know what's happening. I feel like there's so many like Coven. 
It's such a weird I puzzle. Think, I feel like it's being set up for a future story for Apocalypse because I love Clan Akaba. I don't know why they've been changed to Coven oh, Akaba. Coven, yeah, co- yeah. But I feel if we're supposed to just guess, I feel like Clan Akaba or Coven Akaba probably doesn't feel like this apocalypse is their apocalypse or that something might be wrong with this one. So. I feel like that's why they're attacking, but I'm all for it because I love Apocalypse history and his followers. I'm ready for a future issue to deal with that. Like I said early on in the Hoxpox run, the threat of Apocalypse is far more fascinating than the application of Apocalypse, and this run is masterfully balancing the realities of his potentiality with a way to keep him contained reasonably in a 22-page cycle. Can we talk about how cute Shogo is as a dragon? We actually can't. It's biologically impossible. <laughs> it's like that and Baby Yoda are all <laughs> While we're talking about our can I just point out that I love that Betsy has to sheathe her psychic sword? Oh my god, it's such a great touch, and that sword is so beautiful and so it really well fought. Is. She has a helmet. I love, I love it, it. Too. it. Oh my god, I love that she has a shield. I love she has a sword. I don't know how they delve into my mind. Betsy delved into my mind and was like, I know exactly what Jonah wants to say, and I'm gonna give it to him. I'm gonna give the gays what they want. Need her to have her little psychic fire puppy in every issue. Yes. Yes. I would really like to see her keep the Captain Britain mantle. Perhaps she can get her own title like she can be Albion or she can be you know Lionheart I'd be fine with her getting a different name I'd be fine with Brian getting a different name but the whole idea is that there's a multiverse of Captain Britons there is great room for multiple kinds of Captain Britons and I truly do believe after the X-Men Die by the Sword War of the Lionhearts there's room to reform the Lionheart core and I think there's room for these two characters to forever remain both Captain Britons because with what we've said about Fallen Angels, I love the idea that Quanon got to keep Psylocke as an identity, and Betsy is now Captain Britain, because there's room for all these strong women, there's room for all of these representations of strength and dynamics in a family, and I really thought that Excalibur number two set the bar much higher. You know what I would love? This is just wishful thinking. Once Morgan Le Fay is defeated and Brian is saved, I would love Brian and Betsy having to rule over Camelot until the return of Merlin's family, and that be their story for a little while. We have the second entry into the Marauders title, and for my money, this was one of the most interesting stories I have ever read, and in part, that was due to getting to see Emma be the badass bitch. We always knew she was that girl, and really shine in her own beautiful diamond form. But before I even want to talk about the Emma and Sebastian Shaw moments, Kyle, I want you to tell me your take on this new version of Kate. Seeing Kitty Pride in the 80s, you know, she's very much written as the every girl but here she's written so much more differently and much more not even specifically adult like but how do you feel about whether it's her interesting new toying with her foes fighting style her really going at it with getting tattoos on her hands kissing the tattoo artist and is drinking straight from a bottle tell me more about how you feel about this kate 
I'm seeing a very, very heavy connection with where things left off with Kate after the recent X-Men Gold, where pretty much everything went wrong for her. Between the school causing all kinds of issues with the city of New York, and her calling off the wedding with Colossus, I'm seeing Kate's actions here as very unhealthy coping mechanisms. She's constantly in her bottle. She's making all of these very last minute decisions. It feels like she's struggling to come to terms with where her life has taken her. Absolutely. It's really hard to think about seeing the people you called your family for so many years be able to celebrate the idea of mutant freedom and you're the only one left out. And I really do love that you brought up Kate being and having her mouth and nose in a bottle on almost every single panel. Nico, alcoholism is a very precocious topic that, with any addiction, it's really important that characters and writers write this with a very special hand. I know that there are a lot of characters that suffer from alcoholism that you like, including Iron Man, Carol Danvers, Brian Braddock, Pete Wisdom. How do you feel Kate using alcohol as her coping mechanism is going to affect the story? Who do you think should and would be the one to call her out? Something I really appreciate is when a writer wants to take the time and talk about substance abuse properly. You get stories like Matt Fraction's interpretation of alcohol recovery in the pages of The Invincible Iron Man and Henry Hellrung's dedication to Tony from The Order. If anybody here has ever read The Order, Mulholland Black is one of the greatest fictional characters Marvel has ever produced and she has this motherfucking giant mallet and I don't know why more people don't cosplay this glorious manic pixie engineering magic fantasy LA dream girl. She is fucking everything to me. But anyway, I think we've entered an age where it's so convenient to give a character development through alcoholism. And I have some great concerns that it could be used undelicately. But I actually kind of think that Jerry Dugan's got a really good heart and a really good head. And he's been writing at Marvel for quite a while. And he's been in the X office for quite a while now too. And I think it really is striking until you said to me that she's got a bottle in her hand in every panel. I hadn't even thought of it, but yeah, she's kind of pulling a Logan, except Logan has the healing factor. Kitty has a giant hole in her heart where her feelings are supposed to be, so I'm not sure what's going on there. Is there someone on, whether they're already appearing in the title on the team or should be appearing, that you want them to have this confrontation with her? I would love if Brian, when he comes back, is a marauder and her sponsor. I absolutely Mm -hmm. get that. Speaking of sponsoring Kate, we have some of the best Emma moments I have ever seen. Oh my god, I... Again, these writers are just catering what feels like to just me in this amazing, badass, powerful Emma that I am almost about to weep (laughs) over how much I love it. I don't know always what it is, but I, ever since I was young, I have always been inspired by the strong, powerful women that I see, and Emma has been no exception to that. Dylan, how did you feel about this almost one-sided game that Emma was playing with Shaw, constantly taunting him, already 50 billion steps ahead of him, before he even realized that they were actually playing a game? After all, losing is his new mutant power. (laughs) Oh my god, that was one of the best lines. Oh my god. (laughs) 
It was some pretty amazing scenes and panels between Emma and Sebastian. I know you haven't gotten there yet, but some of Emma's most amazing times in comics is actually with Shaw. Those two feed off of each other, or at least she definitely feeds off of him. Almost any time she's been in a panel with him, always, like you said, 50,000 steps and moves ahead of him in the chess game of the Hellfire Club. And I completely agree with you. It feels like the writer of Marauders is catering to every Emma fan in the world. And this issue, it especially since Emma didn't really show up too much in the first issue, that kind of made me a little weary. Like I was very happy that Emma was going to be on a team for Dawn of X. But after the first issue, I was like, oh, is Emma just going to be off on the sides? But no, this issue shows that she is definitely, well, I was going to say definitely the queen of this team, but after the end of this issue, we now know that there is two queens. And I guess three if you count Iceman. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you brought up that the Hellfire Club or the trading company is always a chess match. And I think that's been a common theme and use of symbolism for the Hellfire Club since its earliest iterations. I want to just get all three of your opinions on who you think any of the potential knights or other bishops might possibly be or who the Lord Imperial is going to be. So I want to weigh in on two things. Number one, did anybody else feel that the scene where Sebastian Shaw is just losing his shit on Emma, he almost had the same attitude as Sabretooth in that scene in New X-Men at the urinal when he looks over at Logan and he's like, what have you got that I haven't got? And Logan just kind of backs up at the urinal is like, <laughs> no. I don't know, bub. <laughs> like that was that moment and Kitty sort of represents the way Scott was standing in the background like, this is ready to go blow up a planet. Like it was really exciting. I really loved that moment. I love that they're cherry picking everybody's best era. Emma gets to be her best and Storm gets to be her best. Jean gets to be her best. They're building the best eras of the best characters. And to that end, I like when villains are in these really amazing situations that you can't extract them without losing what you want. I would kind of love if the Lord Imperial was Celine. Oh my God. She, they would be forced to understand that she, you know, she really is an international figure and she's shadowy and she has all these illicit business dealings. Celine truly could be the the Lord Imperial in a way that I would find commanding and I would actually really like, and I'm not just harping on my favorites, but I would love it if Pete Wisdom could be the knight for Kitty Pride. They had a five-year romance. They had a great relationship, a really positive energy and chemistry even when they weren't a couple she jumped right in on his secret agency black air and helped save his life a number of times so i feel like pete would know he owes her i couldn't think of who would be the best lord imperial now kind of only want to think of celine (laughs) i don't want to sound like i can't think of my own thought for it but celine i feel like would be a really good choice mainly because of her history with the hellfire club and the fact that i guess now because of house and powers i I guess Apocalypse is now, again, the oldest mutant. When it comes to Apocalypse and Selene in X-Men and Marvel canon, it keeps going back and forth on who is the oldest or first mutant. So I completely get behind Selene being the Lord Imperial because, again, she's an older mutant. And it would be really kind of cool to see her written in some sort of good guy fashion because... 
for most of X-Men history, a lot of good guys have always had a going back and forth of being good and evil. But I think Selene and Apocalypse were probably the only two that hadn't. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see Selene's take on being good. And you know what? If you guys like everything you're hearing about Selene and Apocalypse and trying to understand a little bit more about ancient mutants, check out our next episode on Monday. We have a special about X-Force and we explain a little bit more about what the externals are and why they are depressing. I'm gonna echo the Selene as the Lord of Imperial. For the other spots, honestly, I don't really have a lot of knowledge about who's connected with the Hellfire Club, but part of me kind of would like to see Callisto in one of these spots. Oh, I would love Callisto as one of the knights. I just see her as being like this sword for one of the kings or queens. Well, they haven't been named this officially, and I say they because it's plural. I believe Emma going to knight her darling children, the Stepford Cuckoos, as her knight. That's my personal prediction. She kind of already uses them like that, so it really is just like a one-degree separation for me. But the last thing I do want to mention, I would love to give a special shout-out to the colorist for this issue, Federico Blee, and his amazing work. All the artists, everyone's contributions have been a wonderful to read, but my personal favorite thing that I saw this issue was Emma in her diamond form, and I believe his interpretation is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen with the almost like he nailed the diamond color while also adding this beautiful rainbow reflectiveness in the entire thing and it was just so special to see one of my favorite characters get a beautiful piece of art i really understand what you mean there was a level of elevation to it it can be really difficult to elevate something like emma's diamond form without leaning too far into hyper saturated almost wet colors and marauders has such a breathtaking palette on colors i feel like i already know it makes me think about them in new ways. I love Kitty in her captain outfit. (laughs) I concur. I think the designs for House of X, Powers of Ten, and the Dawn of X, it's all been so beautiful. And one of the things I've found most thrilling is actually the logos. I bought all of the Tom Muller variants. I thought they were tremendous. There's something really special about the effort that is being put into the design work. It really does reflect the best of the X-Men. Speaking of logos, something I wanted to mention about this issue... When the solicits for Marauders came out, I was a little confused on why Pyro was on this team. I mean, it it makes sense because most of New Dawn of X titles seem to have at least one villain on the team. So I guess Pyro was the one taking that spot. I didn't think that I would enjoy Pyro, but he is actually one of my like Black Horse favorites of this title. He's hilarious. And even in this issue, just like in the first issue, Pyro teaming up with Lockheed is amazing and I actually read this issue a few times the first time I read it I did not care for the fact that they had Pyro get a full face tattoo which is the logo for the Marauders but after reading it again Pyro is a crazy adrenaline junkie that it just makes sense that he gets it so I think it's pretty fitting and now nothing's permanent you can just get a new fucking face (laughs) that's true he looking like Ryuji from Persona oh, 5. Oh, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that. Oh, now I'm not going to be able to unsee it. Well, hopefully he'll have his mask on. <laughs> We're halfway through the second set of issues of the first wave of the second phase of the beginning act of John Hickman's revolutionary comic that built the house that chased the cat that ate the rat that I don't fucking know, but it's been really exciting. <laughs> dizzy. And I feel like I just got attacked by some marauders, old school style, vertigo, and 
Harpoon. And Scalp Hunter. And Scurvy. And until we come back to address that horrific vitamin C deficiency. Kyle, where can everybody find you online? Who, me? It cut yes. out. I'm sorry. Yes. It always cuts out. I definitely, like, shot the microphone a look. Is there another Kyle? <laughs> oh, if he missed his name? If he missed his name, he probably wouldn't be sure I was talking to him. Bing dong. Okay. You guys can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? Everybody can find me not getting a face tattoo, but getting it somewhere else. Or you can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group, House of X, and also on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Telling Shaw his secondary mutation involves him getting into more debt. Or you can find me on Twitter or <laughs> Instagram at Jonah Ravino and at Jonah.Ravino. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me all over this amazing network on shows like HTML, which I do with Kevo, my husband, Jonah's boyfriend, the amazing guy who covers Captain Britain and Miracle Man with me. You can also find me on Instagram at NicoAction and I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Don't forget to check out my webcomic at KidRiotComics.com and check out the other amazing feeds of this show throughout the archives like 70s X-Men Explosion, 80s Mutant Mania. And while you're at it, check out the other shows on this network. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And we can't wait to see you guys next week. And until then, stay Krakowin. Stay stay Mad Mutant, yo. Stay Mad Mutant. Yo-ho. <gasps> Goodbye. Bye. Dylan just comes in so sad at the end. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.